We come together this morning to recognize Jubilee Sunday, a time to reflect on our roles as North American Christians living in the empire as we face God's call on our lives of privilege. What is this call of liberation and fullness of life for all? Can we hear the voices of our sisters and brothers, God's children, both here in Lancaster, throughout the United States, and indeed around the world? The call to Jubilee is found in Leviticus 25 in the Old Testament, and it mentions the sabbatical year every seventh year, something that we continue to practice in our world. And then on a series of seven times seven years, there is the, the, the Jubilee year. Uh, and this was described as a kind of a social welfare system in ancient Israel. These laws are motivated by the conviction that the land and the Israelites each belong to God. During that time, agricultural work ceases, debts and indentured servants are released, and ancestral property that was sold reverts to its original owners. And this is a call to freedom. Verse 10 says, You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. But not only is it a call to liberty, it's also a call, somewhat ironically, to security. We live in an empire that is uh, focused so heavily on security. And verse eight, verses 18 and 19 say, you shall observe my statutes and faithfully keep my ordinances so that you may live on the land securely. This land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live on it securely. There we have promises of abundance. Our land will yield its fruit and promises of security. A year of Jubilee. It was a time to return to families, to restore relationships, and to rejoice together. At Foundation Jubilee is a way to keep some people from being permanently in debt to others. It is a prescription for living in right relationship with one another. Just as Jesus ate with the poor, healed the outcast, and welcomed uh, uh, those labeled as sinners, we too are called to live in right relationship with our sisters and brothers around the world. So the call to Jubilee in Leviticus is clear, but what is the reality that we encounter in the world in which we live, in this American empire and its role around the world? The debt crisis that the Jubilee USA Network campaign focuses on was created in the 1970s and 1980s uh, when a lot of uh, loans were made to countries around the world, often irresponsibly often to serve uh, the empire's political or commercial ends. There has been some success due to global campaigns uh, to cancel some debts, but the rich world is still, has still not taken full responsibility for these illegitimate debts and the ensuing debt crisis. And the result, the result is that these debts still drain impoverished countries of resources that could otherwise be spent on vital public services. In some cases in Africa, debt repayment annually exceeds the health and education budgets of some countries. And there we have millions who have suffered at the hands first of illegitimate and sometimes self-enriching governments. And these governments were often supported 
uh, by uh, the northern countries uh, seeking to follow commercial or ideological interests. And those same people that were victims of bad government also become victims of this burden of illegitimate debt. What does that look like in the world in which we live? The most recent Newsweek magazine, Anne just brought this uh, into our home, maybe some of you receive it at home, uh, has a picture of the president of Brazil on the cover, Dilma Rousseff, who just became the first woman to open the UN General Assembly. She's the president of the fifth largest country in the world. Uh, Brazil has a population of nearly 200 million people. And the headline says, where women are winning. And there's a picture of Dilma Rousseff. As part of this uh, focus on women in this issue of Newsweek, there are two charts uh, that are called the best and worst countries for women. And these ratings, this index is based on justice, the legal system, health indicators, education, economics, and politics, access to political office and, and presence in political office. The best places in the world to be a woman I could maybe have you guess, but according to this index, the best place in the world to be a woman is the tiny North Atlantic island of Iceland. Canada, number three. <laughs> the only non-European nation in the top five. You may be wondering where the United States figures. The United States did crack the top ten, number eight. The worst places to be a woman. Well, the country of Chad, in uh, central West Africa is number one on that list with an overall score of zero on this index. Canada has a score of 96.6 on this index and the United States 89.8. Afghanistan is number two on this list with a score of two. So Chad is deemed to be the worst place in the world to be a woman. Chad is one of these highly indebted nations uh, in the global south, in this case in central West Africa. I recently was doing some work uh, in my job looking at literacy rates across some of the countries that we work in in Africa. And while I knew this was true, it's all the more glaring to revisit it and see it again. The country of Chad, deemed the worst place in the world to be a woman by this index, has a female literacy rate of 12%. I wonder if all the girls and the women that are here today could raise their hands. Just raise your hand if you're a girl or a woman. I was trying to estimate about how many. So let's imagine there are 100 of you. So 12 of you would be able to read in Chad. Sobering indeed. In many countries that are facing heavy debts, there remain large gaps in life expectancy and poverty. And this includes, as we just said, a country like Chad. We sometimes say to ourselves that in a place like the American Empire, or I'll add the, the Canadian mini-empire, that um, we give so much aid, we give so much foreign aid. Uh, you know, what, what, is, what is the issue? The reality is, within the last decade in some countries in Africa, there's actually been a greater outflow of money in net terms, in debt service, than there has been uh, a reception of international aid. It turns the entire idea of foreign aid on its head. That's the insidious nature of this debt crisis. Now, there have been some improvements uh, in debt cancellation over the last number of years, but still the larger problem remains.
I had the privilege to be in Chad in May of this year, a country where MCC Mennonite Central Committee uh, works on a program visit. Uh, I was there at the end of the dry season, and this is clearly a very challenging place for uh, human settlement um, at all. Uh, and it's, it's one of the toughest places probably sort of climatically that MCC sends people in the world. Water, therefore, as you can imagine, and food are significant challenges. Conflict is also a challenge in Chad. But at the same time that I encountered all of these challenges, I'm aware of some of the statistics about the country of Chad, I had the privilege to meet people who I would call heroic figures that work in the church in Chad. Those God has called by their names who are working tirelessly for peace. I think of Pastor Yasa working at interfaith relationships between Christians and Muslims. People working tirelessly for health. I think of Madame Jikulum who works with an HIV AIDS clinic uh, in the capital city of Jamena. I think of Samuel Dunia who works at a school and orphanage in southern Chad. These are people who God has called by name who are working for Jubilee in their own context. Chadian Christians uh, reaching out to those around them. World Bank studies indicate that countries receiving debt relief experience significant drops in child mortality and make strides towards universal primary education. Decisions made in Washington, D.C. and Ottawa, Ontario, and other northern capitals in this world can determine whether or not a child in Tanzania is able to go to school. As it relates to education particularly, there is an ongoing debt crisis which has had and is still having a severe impact on access to education. And I think of education particularly as we begin this new school year and academic year for those among us uh, that are studying. Education is recognized as a basic human right and is crucial in giving individuals, communities, and countries a route out of poverty, conflict, and instability. But today, 80 million children around the world never go to school. And a lot of that has to do with countries managing their budgets, managing their debt load, and again, not being able to fund critical services like health care and like education. So this is the reality in our world today. What then does God call on us to do faced with these debt traps and unjust global economic systems and institutions that continue to imprison so many of our sisters and brothers around the world? And to bring that sisters and brothers notion a little closer to home, one final reference to the uh, chart on the worst places in the world to be a woman. Number four on that list is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, Congo has more Mennonites than any country in the world except for the United States. So sisters and brothers indeed, sisters and brothers of different degrees. As we read the scripture passages in both Isaiah and Matthew, uh, we're reminded uh, that we have certain privileges uh, as we live in this world. The question is, how do we use uh, the power that God has given us? We're reminded in Isaiah that I am the Lord and there is no other. And that God calls us by name, as God called uh, Pastor Yasa, Madame Jikulum, 
and Samuel Dunia in Chad? How do we hear that call on our lives to work from a place of privilege in this world to address injustice and poverty? How do we use our privilege in the empire both to address poverty and, uh, and economic insecurity at home here in the United States, North America, but also around the world? As people of faith, we are called to stand together on the side of the poor, hungry, and oppressed. And through our prayers and actions today, and indeed the postcards that we signed within the last several weeks, we, we can use our privilege of living in a democracy to raise up the voices of the most vulnerable through our advocacy efforts. We also send a message of solidarity uh, to begin linking ourselves more deeply with sisters and brothers around the world. In the Isaiah passage, it's clear uh, that there's this commitment and this call that our world belongs to God. Uh, and even in the Matthew passage, uh, Jesus reminds us, give to the emperor what is the emperor's and give to God what is God's. And of course, we acknowledge that everything belongs to God. And so it's a, a call for us to address our entire lives, the way that we live. After we came back from our last service term with MCC and we're living in Ontario, Canada, I worked in the offices of the Christian Reformed Church in Canada. And I love uh, the beginning part of their, what they call their contemporary testimony of faith. It's entitled, Our World Belongs to God. I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from the, from the preamble. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, and others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust, our world belongs to God. We rejoice in the goodness of God, renounce the works of darkness, and dedicate ourselves to holy living. As covenant partners set free for joyful obedience, we offer our hearts and lives to do God's work in the world. With tempered impatience, Eager to see injustice ended, we expect the day of the Lord. We are confident that the light which shines in the present darkness will fill the earth when Christ appears. Come, Lord Jesus, our world belongs to you. The passage in, from 1 Thessalonians that Carol read for us uh, refers to a deep calling to a faith that shows itself in action. God summons the people of Thessalonica to work for love and hope and to demonstrate that in their active faith. And today God challenges us all to stand up and be people of action to inspire hope through these actions for so many of our sisters and brothers who have lost hope because of perpetual poverty and suffering. And in that passage in 1 Thessalonians, there are some interesting steps there in verse uh, 3. We see this idea of work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. A work of faith, we must step out in that faith. A labor of love, what is our motivation that calls us to step out? And steadfastness of hope, that is encouragement to not be discouraged, which is, of course, a very real and present danger faced with so many challenges in our world. And how are we to do that? Not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Not in word only, 
we need to move to action. But also in power. We need to move out with, with assurance in what we do. And in the Holy Spirit, which is God manifest with us, with full conviction. God calls us to a faith of action that moves in action. The vision of Jubilee calls for the building of right relationships between communities, peoples, and nations. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. captured the essence of Jubilee best when he said, injustice anywhere represents a threat to justice everywhere. And Nelson Mandela, former president of South Africa, first black president of South Africa, said this, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. What do our privileges mean to us today as we live uh, in this, uh, these empires in the northern hemisphere of the world? Inspired by the jubilee vision of liberation and fullness of life for all, people of faith and conscience around the world continue to call for justice and liberation. And as part of that, we are called to transform unjust structures, laws, and widespread ways of life that benefit the few and cause hunger and oppression for the many. We are called to change these ways of life into ones based on equality and justice so that all may have food, shelter, and a good life. The call to Jubilee is a call to liberty, a call to right relationship, a call to security and life in abundance for all, a call to a world of enough for all of God's children, enough food, enough water, enough education, a call to return to families, restore relationships, and rejoice together around God's common table. God's call on our lives is to use our privilege to work for the liberation of others and indeed ourselves in a world where justice reigns down. I invite us to conclude today by participating in a prayer that is modeled on the Lord's Prayer that we'll be reading together later at the end of community sharing. And I invite you to listen carefully to the words of this prayer as Anne reads. Anne will read the prayer stanza by stanza. At the end of each stanza, I will say, we pray to the Lord, and you will respond, Lord, hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, you are also at home in our families and in this land of ours, our country. Help us to find you as we seek you in our daily cares, in our efforts to promote justice and peace for the benefit of all. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Hallowed be your name. Be our unity. Be your name be may your name be hallowed by our solidarity with those in greatest need, by our untiring sacrifice for justice and peace. We pray to the Lord. Your kingdom come, may it come soon, to the hungry, to the weeping, to those who thirst for your justice, to those who have waited centuries for an end to the inequality. 
Grant us the patience to smooth the way on which your kingdom comes to us. Grant us hope that we may not weary in working on its path. Despite so many conflicts and hardships, grant us a clear vision that in this hour our history of our history we may see the horizon and know the way on which your kingdom comes to us. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will that we should call on you alone and live together as brothers and sisters. May this your will be done in the U.S. May your will be done also in the churches of the world, whose unity is your son Jesus, our Lord, the good shepherd, who rounds up the flock in a church of people, whom Jesus called blessed, and whom Jesus entrusted the gospel, in a church in which, led by the spirit of Jesus, we may be of one heart and of one mind and have all things in common. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Grant us strength that we may be able to build a world in which all have enough to eat, a roof over their heads and a school for their children, in which all are ensured safety and peace, a society in which soon we shall be able to turn swords into plowshares and tanks to instruments for useful toil, a society which is new, with new women and new men, who delight more in giving than in receiving. We pray to the Lord. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive our lack of unity, our insensitivity to the suffering of our country, in our country and in other countries. For impatience, for the millions of dollars we have spent on wars and destruction instead of building love and your kingdom. Forgive us for seeing the speck of dust in our brother and sister's eye before having taken the log from our own. Forgive our fear of risk, our fear of loss, our fear of sharing. As we forgive our debtors and those who have wronged us, so also forgive us. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Lead us not into temptation, the temptation to trap the poor into debt and further poverty, and to think ourselves good Christians, already on the road to salvation. Let us not be tempted into pride at what we have already achieved, or into despair at all that is still required of us. Lead us not into temptation, routine, or hatred. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Deliver us from evil. Save us from forgetfulness that our life that of our children, that of our native land, is in your hands. Those sure and watchful, watchful hands, whose care even for the birds of the air, in loving hands which in marvelous manner clothe even the weeds as, as well as the lilies of the field. Hands into which we may even today commit ourselves gratefully with trust and confidence. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We make all these prayers for ourselves and for all God's children world over. Through our Lord and brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 